fellow women's soccer fans, welcome back to the Bankrupt Pippo YouTube channel for another episode of the Women's Soccer Podcast. I'm Bryce, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me today. We got a ton of good stuff to talk about from around the world, mostly from the FAWSL and also the US Women's National Team. Quite a stuff has quite a few things have been going on. A couple friendlies, a couple thoughts I had. And then plus, if you haven't heard, Tobaneeth got injured again. That's right, she injured uh, not her ankle this time, but her knee instead, unfortunately. So she's returned to the U.S. to rehab. But what does that all mean for club and country? I'll talk about all of that in just a little while. First, I want to start off with the WSL today. So the big result, and I would say that the biggest game of the entire season, or for the remainder of the season, I should say, was going to be the Manchester City and Chelsea matchup that took place last week. Uh, that game ended in a 2-2 draw, thus leaving Chelsea at the very top of the table in first and then leaving Manchester City in second. Chelsea are ahead in the league table by two points. They have 51 as of right now of this recording, and then Manchester City have 49, neither of which teams have any games in hand. So to me, this result was pretty telling because with only two games left in the WSL season remaining, I think that this means that Chelsea is going to emerge as champions for the league here's why so with Chelsea being only two points ahead and only having two games in hand even if they were to draw one of the two games if my math is right even if Manchester City won both matches it still wouldn't quite be enough they would be well I guess barring goal difference but right now Chelsea's ahead of of ahead of goal difference by five but let me go a little bit deeper into that. The main reason why I'm saying Chelsea probably will emerge as WSL champions again is the fact that they don't play too strong of a team for the final two weeks. They play Reading and Tottenham, and if I'm being honest, I don't see Chelsea losing to either of them, full disclosure. Of course, there's always a chance it's football, but when you've got a title like this and a good veteran team like Chelsea with a good coach and Emma Hayes, you don't bottle these chances. Now, one thing that makes me think otherwise is the game against Brighton. However, since it's the only time they've done that all season, and one could argue for the past two years where they bottle a game like that, consider it pretty lowly likely. Is there a chance Manchester City could win the next two games and Chelsea could uh, draw a game? Yeah, it's possible. Is it likely? Probably not. The silver lining for those of you who are Manchester City fans is I don't see Manchester City losing the next two games either. I see them winning out for the rest of the season. So I think there's a little bit of hope there. But if I'm being totally completely honest, I think the more likely of the two teams because of that result is Chelsea winning it all for this season. So just some food for thought, just some consideration for the very top of the table for the remainder of the WSL season, which is really strange that it's coming to a close already. It felt like it just started not too long ago, and here we are, and it's May, so time flies when you're having fun. You might be wondering about the Champions League spot. I think that the third Champions League spot is going to go to Arsenal at this point. Man United, I think, have just dropped too many points at this uh, stage in the season. So I still think United had a great season overall. Nothing to hang their heads about, but I think Arsenal is going to come out uh, being in the Champions League for next season. And before I move on to some USM's national team stuff, I want to highlight the relegation battle that's going on right now. I would argue, in fact, actually now that I'm looking at the table, it's changed a little bit because now we've got Birmingham City thrown into the mix. So there's four teams right now 
that have 13 or 12 points. That's West Ham, Birmingham City, Aston Villa, and Bristol City. Bristol City, of which is at the very bottom of the table because they have 12 points, which they're tied with uh, Aston Villa in that regard. But Bristol City have no games in hand. So this is going to get really, really interesting come to the end of the season. This morning, Bristol City took on Aston Villa, and they drew. So both teams each gain a much-needed point, which could come in handy, especially depending on how West Ham and Birmingham City play throughout the rest of the season. But it's important to keep our eye on these matches because West Ham and Aston Villa, I believe, are playing against each other, and I believe Bristol City is playing against West Ham too, if I'm not mistaken. So those matches are going to be very interesting, very telling, and I think this is going to shape up to be one of the more interesting relegation battles that we've seen as Woso fans. So I think it's just, if you're looking for some action to uh, latch onto as the season winds down, look no further than those matchups in the next coming weeks. So with some of the WSL stuff out of the way, uh, let's see. We'll transition over. We'll kind of stay with the WSL and then slowly transition to the USM's national team stuff. So as I alluded to just a few minutes ago, Tobin Heath picked up another in injury while training with United. She has injured her knee this time around. It sounds like it's going to be another long-term injury. Knee injuries, from what I understand, typically are a little bit longer. Just to be very clear, this is not the same injury that she sh she suffered 12 weeks ago when she hurt her ankle in training. This is not that same injury. This is a separate one. Because of her picking up this injury, she has elected to return to the United States to rehab with the U.S. Women's National Team and is eyeing up a return to the U.S. Women's National Team camp in June, just in time, I believe, for the Tournament of Nations, if I'm getting the competition right. So do I think she'll play for Racing Louisville in the NWSL between now and that June camp? I seriously doubt it. I really think that with this injury, she's eyeing up rehabbing and then trying to make that return in June with knee injuries and then this being... A world, uh, an Olympic competition which only comes around every once every four years and Tobin being 31 going on 32, I think she's going to want to put all of her eggs in the Olympics basket and try to get back to the United States women's national team, which makes a ton of sense because the U.S. women's national team are the best team in the world as of right now and she'll want to represent her uh, country as best as she can, at least I would think. But I'm not in Tobin's head, so I couldn't tell you further on that. But that is all the information I know. According to Jeff Carlisle, with ESPN, he put up a little article on ESPN's website, which you can read at your at your leisure if you'd like a little bit more information than what I'm giving here. So what makes this really, really interesting is that's the implications for the Olympics. Do I think Tobin Heath will recover in time and actually make the USM's national team roster in time for the Olympics? I would say so. I would say that between now and June camp, let's see, it's April 23rd right now, so there's still about two and a half, maybe three months and some change, depending on when they start June camp, for her to get back and get healthy. And if she's rehabbing with the U.S., they're obviously going to do everything in their power to get her back. And Tobin has a resume of recovering from injuries quite strongly, from what I understand. So I don't think that this will the setback will stop her. She'll come back and she'll play really, really well. And I think she'll make it back in time for the Olympics. This is a really strange concept because it's kind of counterintuitive to what I've said on previous pods where Tobin Heath is talented enough to the point where she doesn't need to continue to show Vladko what she can do, improve to Vladko what she can do in order to be on the team. She has done that 
throughout her entire career and actually all the way leading up to her ankle injury all the way back in January. She was lighting up in the WSL. She was playing really good for the U.S. Women's National Team, especially in the friendly against the Netherlands. And I think going into her injury, she was probably the one, if the best winger, I would argue, in the world. So when you've got your best winger in the world who has an opportunity to come back and represent your team, you take her back. You put her in that roster and you give her the technical creativity and ability and also pressing ability that she does really well with the U.S. Women's National Team that she can do and bring to the table. So for those reasons, I don't think that she'll need a ton of time between when she recovers from her injury and the Olympics to prove that she belongs on the roster. I think she's already done that. That's a foregone conclusion by and large. Uh, What does this mean now? I'm going to kind of transition over to now that we've addressed what this means for the USM's national team. What does it mean for Manchester United? As you guys might know, her and Kristen Press each signed one-year deals to play with Manchester United for the WSL season. And now with Tobin Heath returning to the U.S. uh, to do her rehab, she's obviously not going to play with Manchester United for the rest of the season. That's been a foregone conclusion. With all that in mind, I did a video earlier on in the season begging the question, will Tobin Heath and Kristen Press re-sign with Manchester United for another year, another two years, et cetera, and so forth? So... At the time, what I said was, is I think that they will re-sign if United at least make the Champions League. I don't believe I said that if they win the league. I think that was arbitrary at that point. But I said if they played really well, things were going great, and they made and they qualified for the Champions League as a team, I think that they would re-sign and they'd return. However, obviously at the time, I didn't anticipate that United wouldn't make the Champions League, and I also didn't anticipate that Kristen Press wouldn't have a great uh, season with United, and I didn't anticipate that Tobin would get two major injuries. So with all that in mind, I think Tobin Heath and Kristen Press's time with Manchester United is over. I want to be really clear on this. I'm not saying Kristen Press is a bad player. I think Kristen Press is one of the world's best However, I don't think there's any denying that she didn't have a, a great season at United, which is normal. We saw Sam Kerr do that last year when she played her first season with Chelsea. I don't think Sam Kerr had a great season. I think the same thing happened with Kristen Press. If she was given a second season, a third season, I think she would eventually adapt and show the WSL her full power and play really, really well. There's always that year of transition that you see between stars and transitioning from leagues. That's just the way it goes. Now, having said all of that, with the contingencies that I just mentioned, Tobin Heath getting two major injuries um, with United not making the Champions League, I think that means that the time for Tobin Heath and Kristen Press at Man United is up, and I don't think either of them will re-sign. So take that for what it's worth. What makes it really interesting is the fact that what does this mean for if they don't re-sign with United, are they going to return to the w- the NWSL? And if they do return to the NWSL, are they going to sign a deal with Racing Louisville or will they ask Racing Louisville to be traded? The consensus around many pundits who follow this space are that they will probably not ever play for Racing Louisville. However, with the Olympics coming up in the summer, the Olympics only go for not the entire NWSL season. The Olympics are only going to go to late August at the latest, so that leaves a few months left of the NWSL season to which Tobin Heath and Kirsten Press could both potentially uh, partake in. Now, if they don't re-sign with United, then that means that they'll probably want to play with the remaining months of the NWSL season. So will they they sign with Racing Louisville? 
I would say it's not out of the realm of possibility at this point, especially if they only play with them for a few months. My prediction is that if they do sign with Racing Louisville, they'll probably play with them for the remainder of the 2021 season. Yeah, that's right. It's the year 2021. And then they will probably go elsewhere after that's all said and done. But if I could go forward in time and tell the future, that'd be great, but I can't. So anything could really happen. They could play for Racing Louisville. They could sign. They could have a great time. They could both play well. And the team could thrive. They did just sign Jemba Bonner, who's got a lot of veteran experience in the back line, in the central defense position in particular. So it's anybody's guess at this point, but if I'm a gambling person, I'm willing to bet that they will um, play in the Olympics. They'll sign with Racing Louisville to play for the remainder of the 2021 season. Then we'll probably see them at a different NWSL franchise for 2022. So that's my bold prediction. I want to know what you guys think about all of that, though. Jump down in the comments and let me know what you think. All right, so now that I've kind of touched on more of the WSL side of things, I think this is a good segue to start talking about the US Women's National Team and the Olympic groups that were released not too long ago. Actually, earlier this week, groups E, F, and G for the um, women's soccer competition in the Olympics were announced. What were all of the groups? I forgot to pull them up, so one second... So, like I said earlier, and as one of my friends on Instagram was able to point out to me, the one thing that really got me with the Olympics that I didn't realize earlier is that with the women's soccer groups, they they labeled them E, F, and G, which I didn't think made a ton of sense. I actually thought it was a typo at one point because it's like, why wouldn't you just label them A, B, and C? But according to um, one of my friends on Instagram, the reason they do that, and I don't know if this is fact or not, but... There's also the men's soccer competition, which they would occupy groups A, B, C, and D, and then E, F, and G are for women's soccer. So uh, apparently that's the reason. Take that for what it's worth. If you guys know of a different reason, feel free to comment down below and let me know. But as far as I know, that's what I'm going with. I just thought that was really peculiar in general. So that was my first initial thought looking at these groups. So let's see in group e we've got japan great britain canada and chile in group f we've got the netherlands brazil china and zambia and then in group g we've got the united states sweden um uh what do you call it new zealand and australia so those are the three groups for the olympics all three groups i think are really strong in their own right the one thing I want to point out with the Olympics is you guys heard me say Great Britain for Group E and not England. I want to be really clear with the Olympics, it's kind of a bit of an anomaly in comparison to the World Cup. In the World Cup, you just have England, Scott, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. However, in the Olympics, Great Britain is the representative for um, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. What do I mean by that? Basically, what Great Britain does is they combine all of the best women's soccer talent from England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, and they get to form a team and represent Great Britain in the Olympics. That's just kind of the way how it goes with the Olympics. It's one of those competitions where it's not tailored to just soccer. It's tailored to all the sports of the world, and that's just the way that the IOC um, tends to do it. So... That's just something to keep in mind in case you didn't know that previously. That's why you won't see England 
and um, England separate from Great Britain because technically England is a part of Great Britain. So I just wanted to clear up that confusion before going on further. But in my own opinion, I'm going to say that out of the three groups, I think Group G is the strongest group. The reason being is because between the United States, Sweden, and Australia, you've got three teams that are currently in the FIFA World Rankings Top 10, two of which are in the FIFA World Rankings Top 5 right now. Sweden is 5, and the United States is currently number 1, and I believe Australia is 10th, if I'm not mistaken. They might even be 7th. I forgot the last time I checked that out. And then that leaves New Zealand as well, which are another really solid team. So when you've got two teams... Three teams in the top 10, two of which are in the top five, and no other group has that. Obviously, it's like on paper, okay, that's probably the strongest group. And the way that those teams have been playing in 2021 and even a little bit before that, I would say that that's pretty warranted. I think it's going to be the toughest group. I still think the U.S. is going to come out on top of that group. However, if you told me at the end that Sweden came out on top of it, I wouldn't be totally shocked. I still think the U.S. is the better team and i think by and large a lot of the woe so world would agree and even a lot of uh professionals and pundits and journalists would also agree just because the u.s essentially aside from them drawing with sweden drawing mind you um they've pretty much dominated in every single game they've played to whether it was netherlands brazil or or otherwise really um so i think out of the three groups then which is the next strongest group i'm gonna go with group e in that respect three teams of which are in the world rankings top 10 japan canada and great britain are all i'm going to say in that top 10 one caveat japan is actually 11th when i last checked i'm just going to put them in the top 10 because they're they're just outside of it they might as well be in the top 10 at that point and they're a really strong team that tends to do really well in olympic and world cup competition so i think they're going to be kind of a sleeper in that group intuitively if you ask me today who's going to win group e i would say great britain just for the sole reason that they get to combine the best players from four pretty solid countries especially from uh scotland and england they have a ton of talent just between those two countries alone and getting the best from both of them i think it makes for them being the strongest team in group e overall so that's my thoughts on that um i think that japan or canada are going to draw on points but maybe i'm gonna say japan will be ahead on goal difference so let's finish second in that group canada will finish third and then i'm gonna have chile finishing last in that particular group and then moving on to what i think is i don't want to say the weakest group is a i think poor term in this case because i think all three groups are strong i'm gonna say the least exciting of the three groups i think is going to be group f we've got the netherlands we've got um why am I forgetting these groups all of a sudden? Um, we've got Netherlands, Brazil, China, and Zambia. Two teams are in FIFA World Rankings top 10, that being Netherlands and Brazil. I believe Netherlands is fourth as of today, and Brazil is uh, ninth or maybe even tied for 10th, if I'm not mistaken. But that group, I think, is going to be, although it's going to be the, I'll say, like I said earlier, I'll say weak is for lack of a better term, but... I think it's going to be the most interesting of the groups because I think Netherlands and Brazil will finish out on top, but I'm really curious to see what China and Zambia will do. I want Zambia to actually have a ton of success in this group and surprise all of us and do something crazy like finish second. I don't think there's any world where they finish in first barring a miracle because I think Netherlands will take this group by storm, but I just think it's going to have the most variety and variability in this group as to who's going to finish where it's going to be 
I'll, I'll say this group F I think is going to be the most unpredictable out of the three groups in terms of who will finish where. And I got to kind of feel for Zambia here because they, they seem to be the weakest team in this competition who have to face pretty solid competition. So I feel bad for them in that respect, but I just hope that they have a really good showing and play really, really well. So those are my thoughts on the three Olympic groups at the end of the day. Uh, if I had to make a prediction on who's going to win the Olympic competition, I think the U S is going to come out on top. They haven't given me a reason to think otherwise. I know they drew against Sweden, but the fact of the matter is they drew, they didn't lose. They drew. And that was really the only sign of weakness that I've seen them have in a long time. And I think that they've got a, just the best squad in the tournament. So those are my thoughts. Uh, who will they play in the finals? I'm not even going to make a prediction for that because I can't even begin to guess who's going to be a runner-up in third. I guess better leave that for um, us to watch and speculate about at a later date. So, guys, I want to know what you make of these Olympic groups. Are you really excited for the competition? Do you think the competition will still happen? I know that Japan just had their third state of emergency pertaining to the virus. They just announced it yesterday, but I think it's still going to happen regardless. So let's assume that it will. Um, jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think of the groups. So the last thing I want to address, kind of sticking with the US Women's national team before we call this podcast episode to a close, is I want to talk about Christy Mewis and her um her chances to make the Olympic roster going forward this summer. So three, four, five months ago, when I first made my prediction of who would make the Olympic roster this summer, I originally didn't have Christy Mewis on it. I actually I actually favored Katarina Macario more so at that time. And I think it's kind of natural to draw comparisons between Chris Mewis and Katarina Macario. A lot of the fandom has done it, myself included. And plus, between Roosevelt, Lindsey Horan, Julie Ertz, and Sam Mewis, you're taking all four of them to the Olympics with you, to any competition you have with you, because they're among the best players in the world, right? And Christy Mewis and Katarina Macario are naturally like the next two in line to maybe take a fifth spot for the midfielder, who knows, Vlako could take both if he wants. So naturally, in a lot of my content, I've been drawing comparisons between Christy Mewis and Katarina Macario, but I want to take this time to really highlight how highly I think of Christy Mewis um, based on her performances since uh, November when she made her appearance with the Netherlands and on and just say how wonderful I think she's playing. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit of perspective, Christy Mewis has made seven appearances six of which were substitutions in the 65th minute or later. In some cases, they were in the 85th minute or later. And in that time, she's had three goals and one assist in only seven appearances, and six of them were substitutions. To me, that's 85% of the time she's coming out on as a sub and making a difference. And to me, that's just, that's a goldmine for Vladko Andonovsky. In a world where you've got the other four midfielders, Lavelle, Sam Mewis, Lindsay Rand and Julie Ertz, who kind of play this playing uh, quadruplet, I guess you could say. You always want to have the extra person out on the bench who can come in and make a difference in the event that one of them gets injured, one of them gets tired, Vladko needs somebody. And I think Christy Mewis has done a really good job in showing that she can fill that role and fill it really well. And if I'm going to be really honest, she was only two feet away from having the winning goal against France. If you guys remember, after she was subbed on in the 85th minute, she had a shot that was just wide of the post that with just a little bit more of an angle probably could have gone in and she could have been the hero for that game. And at that point, 
I would have been already more sold on Christy Mewis making the roster than I was previously. But basically what I want to say is Christy Mewis, I think, has proven that she has been playing so, so well over the course of, like I said, since November, since she was playing uh, against the Netherlands to now, that I think she's proven she deserves a spot on this roster. And I think Vladko will take note of that. I think it'll fit the system more, and I think it'll fit more of what the U.S. is looking for at this time. Um, so I just wanted to highlight the positivity I see in Christy Mewis's play. And one thing I also want to mention, too, and, and this is no fault of Katarina Macario's at all, it also probably didn't help Katarina Macario's case that she wasn't able to play in the uh, international friendlies against France and Sweden because of Olympic Leonese's, um restrictions with the, their COVID policy. So I think it gave um, Christy Mewis more of a chance to shine, and it didn't really let us see more of what Katarina Macario could do. However, there's still a few more months since the until the Olympics and when Vladko is going to make his final decision on the roster. I just wanted to take this time to highlight how positively that um, Christy Mewis has been impacting the team and what she could potentially bring to the Olympics. And I think she could bring a lot. So if you ask me, this is me officially changing my mind. Christy Mewis should be on the roster for the Olympics coming this summer. So if you guys have any thoughts on that, feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think. And guys, that'll bring us to the very end of the women's soccer podcast from the bankrupt hippo channel just want to say thanks so much again for joining me for another episode i greatly appreciate it if you guys are looking for more content i'll link down or social media down in the description below and if you guys are looking for other content related to video games movies hot sauces technology things like that i have also started another podcast series on this channel called coffee and kernels releasing episodes about all of those topics and whatnot the last episode i released was about Zack snyder's justice league so Ladies and gentlemen, until the next episode, I've been Bryce, and as always, have a great day.